0: How you doing? This is Dusty Rhodes and welcome to this week's Tech Radio with all the latest in tech from around Ireland and across the globe. However, you got our show today by downloading from our website at techcentral.ie or using your smartphone podcast app or indeed listening on DAB Digital Radio with RTE Radio 1 Extra. Thank you for having us on this week. Later on the show, we're going to be heading to Waterford IT to find out more about how the Internet of Things applies to outdoor life, particularly here in Ireland. But first, joining me is Editor-in-Chief of tech central Nile kitson to talk about the tech stories that we've been catching that have been catching our attention this week i should say uh we're going to be talking about google we've got a story about sony and virtual reality which quite excites us but i think firstly uh the most interesting thing is that irish domain names for the week that's in it Nile, uh will now be quite unique in what way
1: yeah, we've got a couple of nice little Irish-focused stories for the week that's in it. Um, we, we've also, we, we've already had the uh, celebration of the 1916 Rising, and we had St. Patrick's Day. So uh, just to continue the little green tinge to the week, um, the IEDR, which is the, uh, dot, which is the IE domain registry, that's the company that manages uh, the .ie domain. So if you say, for example, you wanted to have Dusty.ie, you have to apply to IEDR. They manage these things very closely. Um, and what they are doing is, uh, in the near future, you will be able to have a .ie domain with a FADA in it. So you could have, you know, Dusty, D-U FADA, S-T-Y, if you so wished be doosty but I guess you know what that
0: so do you think this is a wonderful idea or a bad idea or
1: okay uh from an optics level I think it's a wonderful idea it's a great way to really put a, an Irish stamp on something at a practical level
0: <laughs> yes I, um, I, I sensed I sense a butt coming go on
1: <laughs> yeah at a practical level is this just a bit of a novelty though I mean how many times do you actually reach to use a, an accent on your Well, now
0: there's where you're wrong, because I'm very heavily involved in an Irish language uh, uh, website and uh, the, you know, kind of the accents and everything that are in the Irish language are a nightmare. And, uh, you know, we can use uh, Unicode to kind of get the uh, uh, access out there and stuff like that, but it just looks messy in the code itself. It doesn't necessarily always translate exactly the way we want it to on uh, on various HTML pages. Then when you get into databasing and stuff like that with WordPress, it can cause other problems. Uh, and I know that the guys who are involved in the website would jump up and down with absolute delight <laughs> that they'd be able to get a file. I'm, and the reason I'm... I'm this is kind of I'm holding my head in my hands in some ways because it's caused me untold uh, problems with email addresses. So now the fact yeah. that they're putting into a, a domain names. However, that said, all right, I think the practicalities of this are is that your website or your domain will be registered in ASCII characters only. So, as you say, if you want to have the uh, dusty or whatever happens to be it'll all just be with with no funny characters or uh, at the whatever happens to be uh, however, you can also have a Unicode version of your website address with all the photos that you want, and basically a simple URL rewrite will point you towards the ASCII too and everything will work
1: right so do you think then this isn't a selling point, but the solution is to have your regular website and just use a bunch of redirects using uh, a, a, the, the novel, if you will, .ie. I
0: think essentially that's what the uh, uh, the domain registry here in Ireland are doing.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah,
0: And I think, why not? You know, I'm not an Irish language speaker myself um, and it's not very widely spoken in the country. It could be definitely more widely spoken. However, what you can't deny is that it is absolutely part of our history and part of our culture and it's something that makes us special and unique in this world. It's something that is ours.
1: Yeah, I totally agree with you. It's just, for me, if I was running, say, a hospitality company and or, you know, a hotel or an events company or something like that. Hmm. Um, it's definitely a boon. You know, if you can go send somebody a link and, you know, there's, you know, a FADA in it. It's nice. It's hmm. eye catching. It's whatever. Uh, at a practical level, I can't see people learning, sh- you know, uh, shortcuts just for the benefit of being able to type in a URL. I don't think that's going to happen.
0: Well, you'd be surprised. I mean, people who do speak the Irish language and use the Irish language a lot will know those shortcuts. And there are Irish language keyboards that you can buy as well. Really? So you, oh, know. yeah. Well, yeah, you see. <laughs> you thought I'd be stumped by this first story, didn't you? But not at all. <laughs> not at all. Listen, speaking for the uh, uh, the week that's in it. Oh, hang on. Before leading into this very, very quickly. Um, tell me about uh, google alpha go because last week uh, we were talking about go being a massive game like chess that's played all over asia and google have invented a computer to play the grand master in this game and it was kind of man versus machine and the first game google's machine won we've had the best of five what's the result
1: yeah unfortunately for um go master lee Sedol. Um, The South Korean who's the world champion of Go at the moment. He started playing Go at sort of a professional level at the age of 12. That's how gifted this guy is at it. And uh, he went down four games to one. That's a massacre, in my opinion.
0: All right. Well, interesting. Now, uh, speaking of Google, they're also getting involved in uh, in the Dublin Rising. There's a bit of a walking tour.
1: There are, yeah. Now, there's there's a couple of small things related to the to the rising that we've we've got to give a mention to, because there's there's plenty of um, digital facilities out there um, that maybe you didn't know about uh, that are definitely worth a go. So, the Google Cultural Institute, for example, put together uh, a virtual walking tour of Dublin. And uh, what's quite nifty about it is that you know it's a walking tour, but it's punctuated with um, various sort of snippets. So you will get to a certain point, and there will be maybe an audio. File wild play or, you know, there will be a, a little marker map or a little tag or something and i'll just give you uh, uh, access to this giant digital repository of images um there is also sort of digitized papers to do it to do with the day um and you can have a look at the whole thing at dublinrising.withgoogle.com uh, it's worth having a look just to see what can be done even if you don't want to do the walk yourself uh, but it's all information that was put together from official documents say, from the National Library, from the amphitheatre Theatre. Um, it's really worth looking at. Uh, another interesting digital repository uh, project was put together by the uh, Digital Repository of Ireland and the Royal Irish Academy, uh, and that one was called Inspiring Ireland, and uh i this went on show in the rds i think uh, a while ago um the full title of the show is inspiring ireland 1916 weaving public and private narratives and this wasn't so much about sort of the big ticket history of the day more so what was life like at the time so there's a real sort of uh, value for that if you want to get into sort of the background and what people's lives were like in particular they, they have a look at what women's lives were like uh, which is pretty interesting so um have a google of that as well it was called inspiring Ireland and uh, the third one I want to give a quick mention to is Mind Rising now I don't know if you're familiar with this, it's sort of a a, a schools competition involving uh, Microsoft ECU Institute of Education and uh, Mind Rising and it was a game uh, basically looking to recreate um, the rising using Minecraft
0: (laughs) very good
1: so um yeah go go have a look at that as well um it's yeah the power of Minecraft being revealed again. So uh, have a look at mindrising.ie. So those are my three tips for uh, anyone looking to add a little bit of digital spice to their appreciation of the uh, 1916
0: centenary. Now, you put the picture in my head with the uh, Google-style walking tour of, you know, kind of walking around with, uh, you know, a phone or whatever device it happens to be and looking at reality and then looking at, you know, all the stuff superimposed upon that, which brings me around to virtual reality because uh, Sony have been uh, made a major, major announcement this week that I I have a feeling you as a gamer are absolutely delighted with
1: uh, well me, me me as a gamer that doesn't have as much time to, to play games as maybe I used to but um, yeah PlayStation VR sort of the the third big entrant into the uh, virtual reality space uh, uh, lagging quite a bit behind uh, i think it's fair to say i mean at the, at the low end google cardboard and you know another step up would be the the gear vr which i'm surprised you haven't got one yet i'm sure i'm sure it's on your shopping list though
0: it's very um, much on my shopping list the only fact is that you need a a, a um a, a 6 or a 7 phone from Samsung a Galaxy 6 or a Galaxy 7 in order to run it and it's like eh. do you know what they're doing though is if you are buying the new Galaxy uh, 7 that uh, for an extra 50 quid you can get a, a Gear VR wow I'm in for that
1: yeah okay well your next upgrade I, I think you're pretty much sorted you're due one now anyway aren't you
0: I don't do upgrades anymore
1: Oh, yes, yeah, I forgot your grand strategy, which, which is actually a good one, actually, I have to say. <laughs> Thank you. But, uh, okay, so we had the Gear VR, and then we got hit with this double whammy of of the um, Oculus Rift being quite expensive and the HTC Vive being a better system and being quite a bit more expensive. So we were, we were looking at, um, what, up to €899 Euro plus bits and bobs for, uh, for the, the HTC. So that really is the upper end of the model. So, uh, when Sony announced that they were, at the time it was called Project Morpheus, now it's called, um, PlayStation VR, that was finally coming. We now know it's going to be landing in October, which is a bit of a wait, you know, if, if you're, say, a PC gamer and, you know, maybe you've got a PlayStation console as well. And, you're, you know, that's not great when you, you will already have two high-end options on the market already. However, PlayStation VR will be coming in a much more affordable price tag of €399. Euro.
0: Oh, that's good. That's it's, that's good on two levels, all right? Because if you have a PlayStation 4, which is a really powerful pit of kit anyway, mm. um, uh, for an extra 400 quid, well, you know, 400 quid is the price of the PlayStation. <laughs> it's,
1: yeah, it's more than the price of the PlayStation.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but for 400 quid, is it, what we've said about virtual reality is virtual reality is, is almost built for games. So, you know, you've got the the right hardware people, but if they have the software to go with it and the gaming network and the whole thing, wow. Wow. That could yeah. be really good.
1: I, I think the, the PlayStation is a really interesting testbed because you're not constrained mm. by sort of the uh, the vagaries of the PC market, if you know what I mean. I mean, last week we talked about uh, Palmer Lucky, who's mm. one, one of the Oculus co-founder saying, you know, it's Macs just aren't up to virtual reality. So-
0: as we're sitting here on St. Patrick's Week, um, and I'm kind of thinking Christmas that I might upgrade to the uh, the Galaxy Seven between here and Christmas, and and pick myself up the Samsung Gear VR. And seeing as the uh, PlayStation uh, VR is coming out in October, is that going to be on your Christmas list?
1: I don't know. Oh. Um, oh, see, I, I, you have to adhere to the law of second generations on these things.
0: That's very true. That is very, and and at 400 quid, you absolutely adhere to the law. Uh, For an extra 50 quid when you're buying a new phone anyway, I think that 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 law goes out the window. (laughs) You've got the the theory of not relativity, but uh, the theory of affordability uh, has to go with that. Yeah,
1: yeah. and and the theory of content
0: as well. Yeah, there you go.
1: Uh, I mean, you know, it it will require a few killer titles um, for me to go, right. Okay, now is the time to invest. I have for a example, feeling.
0: I have a feeling that they will have those killer titles, and it's going to be the must-have gift for Christmas.
1: Um, yeah, you could be onto something. You could be onto something. I mean, after all, you know the the current generation of consoles mm-hmm. that, that we have, they must be designed with a ten-year roadmap built go. in there. You know.
0: Well, my young fella has got the PlayStation Four, so I'm going to start uh, 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 dropping my little hints. <laughs> <laughs> oh, would be great. I'd love that for Christmas. It'd be fantastic. Now, there's 10 months between here and Christmas, and if you were to save X amount per month. <laughs> Niall, thanks for keeping us up to date with all the news. This is Tech Central, your weekly tech podcast from Ireland's techcentral.ie. We talk quite a bit on the show about the Internet of Things and how it's going to change the way we interact with devices from thermostats and fridges and all kinds of things. But there's also loads of applications for the Internet of Things Outside of the home, you know, and thinking of things like managing traffic, you know, are the f- top of the list. But what about farms? Like, s- seriously, the Internet of Things on farms. Brilliant. And it's on that point that Niall met with uh, Professor Willie Donnelly of Waterford IT's Telecommunications Software and Systems Group to find out more about the Internet of Things and sensor technology.
1: This afternoon, I've made it out to the Viva Stadium for the Chagas ICT Agri-Seminar and I've been torn away from the the world of urban living and and smart cities to come and speak with Professor Willie Donnelly from the Telecommunications Software and Systems Group at Waterford IT. Now, uh, today's event was looking pretty much at uh, the applications of new technologies and ICT in agriculture and Professor Donnelly's specific interest is in the Internet of Things and sensor technology. Uh, so, Professor Donnelly, just to talk a little bit about the Internet of Things, I mean, we're, we're getting used to the idea of the smart stadium like Croke Park, the, the smart city and traffic management. And now we're looking at the use of um, 5G networks and sensors uh, in an agricultural context. So uh, how does that technology apply?
2: Well, there's been an interesting journey for me because I don't come from a rural background. I don't come from an agricultural background. And my own background is in telecoms and communication systems. But uh, when I had a conversation with the IDA in Ireland, they were saying, can you think of a number of areas where Ireland could be a leader in the... Um, IOT Internet of Things area, and I thought about it, and one of the areas that came to me that seems natural for Ireland is in the agricultural area, and particularly in smart agriculture. So, if you look at the general principle behind the Internet of Things, it's about sensors and sensor networks. Now, sensors themselves are usually small devices that are highly optimized to do a particular job. The Internet of Things that uh, makes these sensors particularly powerful is when you can connect them to the internet. Because what that means is you can co- collect data from a sensor, you can load it up into the Internet, you can put it in the cloud if you want, but equally you can associate that data with other data, you combine information, and then you have knowledge, okay? So um, in an agriculture environment... Uh, there are some interesting um, opportunities in terms of the application of the Internet of Things. In the first instance, uh, well, rural people would understand this, but maybe for, for people who come from the urban area, there's been a huge change in the way agriculture is supported from Europe. So in Europe itself, there was a thing called the Common Agriculture Policy. Con- common Agriculture Policy initially uh, gave um, farmers a... Um, a, a grant, and it restricted the growth in certain products. Now, with CAP gone, it has created an opportunity where it's no longer restricting the growth in products, but it's actually changing the relationship between agriculture and the environment. So what's happened now is that um, a, farmers can, can grow their business, they can increase production, but they have to do it in an environmentally friendly way. So if you like there's a balance, how do, you, how do you continue production and grow production to meet the demands of a growing population globally, but at the same time ensure that the environment is not affected? And for Ireland, and particularly Ireland in the dairy area, because we're one of the world producers, the largest world producers in dairy, this is an opportunity but also a challenge. On the one hand, Ireland is committed to doubling the herd, the dairy herd, to produce... Amount of milk that's needed to um, meet the, the demand globally. On the other hand, we know that uh, increasing the number of cattle on the farm has huge impact in terms of the amount of methane that's being produced in terms of pollution and pollution from, we say, chemicals running off into rivers. So the question then is, how do you approach this dilemma? How do you address this dilemma? And this is where the internet Things or smart agriculture has a solution. Now, smart agriculture is the application of smart technologies such as the internet things such as communication technologies such as smart devices into agriculture itself and we've been working at on this and interesting enough what we found is that the solutions that you would see for instance in a smart city uh, are applicable to the agriculture environment so i'll give you an example um when, when we're looking at the increase of the herd, in Ireland, most, most of the animals are fed on grass. So you drive around the country, what do you see? Green fields and uh, cattle. Uh, however, in order to produce that grass, you have to use fertilisers at a particular time. You um, have a challenge there immediately when you think of environment and the environmental problem, because at present... Um, the, there are fixed dates, days in which uh, farmers can uh, use uh, fertilisers on their, on, their, on, on, on their farm. But if you have a case where it's um, raining, you have runoff, and then that creates pollution. So what we're doing is we're looking to use sensor technology that measures the quality of the soil, measures the quality of the grass itself, and, but also we use a uh, sensor technology that measures the quality of the milk that's produced based on the amount of grass that an animal uses. So imagine you combine those three things, okay? You now have, rather than individual discrete piece of information, you have a system, okay? You can actually take three measurements, you can, you can put them together, and then you can say, okay... With this amount of grass, I can produce this type of milk quality, okay? Um, In the case where the grass, you want to um, increase the quality of the grass, you may have to use fertilisers. With sensor technology, rather than going into a field and spreading fertilisers in a random way, you can actually target it towards a particular part of the field where there may be a deficiency. In terms of using weather patterns and weather information, you can use... um, the weather information to say, okay, if I actually spray on certain days, or if I use fertiliser on certain days, then in the next three days it's not going to rain, so therefore one won't, won't run off onto the um, into the rivers, etc. That's a very uh, sim- one simple example of the use of uh, the Internet of Things and Internet of Things technology in agriculture. So you're looking pretty much at. Um
1: Uh, delivering efficiencies sort of uh, in real time if you will with the the soil quality but also there's an element of prognostication there as well that uh, you know exactly when to use what sort of chemicals whenever in which parts of uh, of your land.
2: Yes well there is and this is it and there are two things there's also the combination of historical information with real-time information okay so the historical comes from the weather patterns okay the historical comes from the genomics of the animals and the expected quality and quantity of the milk that you would expect from that animal uh taking their their genetics and the the, the input which is the quality of the grass and the nutritional value of the grass okay so you bring these things together and it's there are issues and this is where uh, what from a scientific perspective and from my my background as an engineer from our perspective is fascinating um the you know, most people know that if I'm in the city and I'm looking for broadband, which is part of the um, smart city, that's straightforward, hopefully. Most people have it. If you're on the side of a mountain it's not. So um and this is constantly would people who know it from listening to the radio that farmers would be complaining about the quality of the broadband. So there are two issues here. One is that you have these sensors uh, we say, on a, uh, in a field, you need to bring that back to the to, to the farm itself. And I'll give you one interesting scenario where the information is real-time that you need rather than uh, his, historic or, or non-real-time uh, sensitive information. A lot of the work we're doing now is on sensors that are measuring the uh, movement of animals from health reasons, okay? Or maybe looking at uh, animals in terms of... Um, we, we say uh, lameness or wh- whatever, and uh, or even think of an animal who gets out of a field, okay? You, you, you have sensors that know where they are, your sensors measure their movements. In most of these cases, the information has to be transferred back real time, okay? Uh, so in um, one of the problems is you don't have 5G in the middle of a field, so you have to find other... More interesting ways of actually delivering information real time. Okay, uh, so we're looking at the different types of systems and where we can um, deliver information back either real time or non real time. Okay, so in in this way, it's given us an opportunity to look at a. For instance, um, we're looking at low power wide area networks. These are networks in where you can transmit information over a long, over a, 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 a long distance, but you're minimising the amount of information you can transfer it because there's a, there's a relationship between the power used and the amount of data you can transfer so you imagine we have a situation in a field we have, we're, we're collecting data from all these different sensors, sensors in the ground from the movement of the animal we break it into three different types of information there's there's non-critical, non-real-time information. There's uh, critical information, but with a delay. And then there's real-time information. So we're using low-power wired area networks to do the critical real-time stuff. So you just get a signal saying, this is a problem, go, you need to deal with it. We have some very interesting research we've done and, and practical implementations of the other two. One of them t- is is where we have what's called a data mule object. And what we're doing there is that we're uploading... Uh, we're uploading uh, information over very short distances, like using Bluetooth. And what we do there is, and uh, you'll understand the word mule in a a moment, but um, the animals are in the field and they're brought in twice or four times a day into uh, the milking parlour. So, and um, we, we've done experiments with Chagas, and it's, it's running where we have a robotic milk parlour. okay? And what we're doing is we're saying, this information that's non-critical, but that needs to be delivered once or twice a day, we're transferring this information into a, a, a sensor on the animal itself as it passes by the sensors using Bluetooth. So it's very quick transfer onto the cow. The cow then brings it into the shed where it's been milked, is transferred into the uh, broadband network infrastructure that they have there and it's transferred on. So the interesting thing that we've done is we've looked at, okay, how does this system work? Because cows go to the, to the robotic milker at different times. So we have this kind of mule system where we can measure, recognising which cow is which. We know who's next to go to the milking parlour. So each cow will collect some data from around the field it will transfer to the cow who's going up next, and they'll all be accumulated there and then brought up. So it's really from a from a kind of um, uh, solution based uh, communications scenario. It, there's some really interesting things happening here. So it's a case of maybe instead of having like a, a circadian routine where you might go, okay, it's it's four
1: o'clock, it's it's time to ring in the cows, kind of thing. Uh, you will have a level of information at hand that you go, actually, this animal has been doing this. It's time to move them in and. It's that that granular level of detail that you can get now.
2: Yes, so you can actually begin to personalise around the animal itself. Uh, you can actually use the animals as a network themselves who are linking two networks. One is the network on the, on, on the, in the field and the other is the network in the milking parlour, okay? And that's where the mule thing comes in. The animals is bringing the information from one to the other. Other ways you can do it is as the farmer goes by in its tractor, you can upload information on the tractor, then it'll be uploaded as he goes into the farm. So the whole idea is, at the heart of it is sensors and sensor networks, but it's actually developing a system rather than individual sensor solutions and it's really providing a new ecosystem where information is drawn both from the farm itself, external to the farm, it's combined and you're actually de- you're developing knowledge systems and planning tools to allow the farmer to more effectively farm. And of course, the beauty of it is that not only can we then uh, make farming more effective, we're also ensuring the health of the animals, we're, we're also um, looking at the environmental impact. So we're managing a much more environmentally friendly environment where we're producing more food, more products than we would normally, and at the same time, we're ensuring the health of the animals. And from a farmer's perspective, it means that uh, he can then um, plan better in terms of the effective management of his farm. But even it has an interesting down, down, down a, a side effect from the uh, processor's perspective because they now have a better guarantee of quality milk coming from the farm. So they can then go out and they can um, negotiate uh, contracts in, in, in different places externally. For instance, at the moment, um, baby farm formula is a big um, area of export for Ireland and particularly in the Chinese market, and that has to have a particular constituency. So now... The companies that are producing the milk for, uh, baby formula for export working with the farmer have better control over the environment in which the milk is being produced
1: and to sort of bring it to the farmer uh, at that level and the level of uh, of control that they have um, is this a case where we are going to see farmers checking in on their computer first thing in the morning or checking on their tablet peri- periodically throughout the day is this sort of going to be part of uh, every farmer's toolkit now
2: Yes, and the, you, you find increasingly, uh, for instance, um, we were on degree courses in Waterford for in agriculture and the younger farmers are quite used to it. I mean, this is like everybody else. They're, they're now growing up in an information age and they, a tablet-based world. And farmers are increasingly using using uh, technology and using computers and using smartphones, et cetera, et cetera, to help them to uh, manage their farm. And this is the future going forward
0: and that was Niall Kitson speaking with Professor Willie Donnelly of Waterford IT's Telecommunication Software and Systems Group that's about it for uh, this week's show Niall's still with us uh, just before we go Niall our one more thing that we didn't get to talk about on the podcast but is online what is it?
1: Yeah a great little story we have online on techcentral.ie at the moment about uh, Amazon's uh, move to uh, bring facial recognition to e-commerce by bringing pay by selfie But maybe Microsoft already has something that's a bit better
0: oh, oh shocker wigs on the green remember you can keep in touch with Irish Tech News with hourly updates daily newsletters and more from techcentral.ie as well as that story Nas is talking about as well as our weekly tech radio show online and every Friday at 6pm on DAB Digital Radio with RTE Radio 1X so next week for myself Dusty thank you so much for listening take care get tech radio subscribe for free with iTunes or down. Download- load on demand at techcentral.ie Tech Radio is produced by digitalaudioproductions.com Excellent.